Why don't we pray and ask for God's help as we look at his word this morning. God, we thank you for your kindness to us. We pray as we spend a minute or two looking at Psalm 1, that you would use the truth of your word to do a work in our hearts, that we would be willing to allow you to change us and make us like Jesus. So God, give us humble hearts and a willingness to hear and be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Psalm 1, two roads and two destinations. Two roads, two destinations. And you got to think about it this way. If you use an app on your phone, like a map uh, app on your phone to identify a place you want to go, say after a church you want to go to a particular restaurant, you put in the address and it says, uh, here's how you get there. Now, a lot of times those applications will give you two options, don't they? Like this way is quick, but this way is uh, a little bit slower or a little bit faster. So it lets you choose. But it's two different roads, but the same destination. That's what it's saying. Here's two ways to get to the same destination. Now, what Psalm 1 is, is two different roads and two totally different destinations. That's, and that's a really, really important uh, understanding before we jump into the psalm, because we tend to think that there's a whole bunch of different ways to get to the Lord, and we just sort of pick our favorite one. And what this psalm is going to show us is, no, there's two different roads. And depending on which road you're on, it's going to determine where you're headed. And so everyone chooses a destination, and everybody chooses which uh, road they're going to get on. And and what the Bible is going to tell us is these two destinations are mutually exclusive. Mutually exclusive. You can't go to both places at once as we look at these two roads. You can't be at the Atlantic coast and the Pacific coast at the same time. I don't think. Can you? You're going to have to pick one. Because one is east, one is west. You're going to have to choose one of those. And so that's what this psalm is going to get at. Here's the question this psalm wants to pose for each of us as individuals. It says, the first question is this, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? It's going to challenge us to make a decision about what direction we want our life to take. So it's going to say, where do you want to go? And then it's going to follow that up with it and say, well, what road are you going to take to get there? And the psalm wants us to, to be conscious, to be intentional and say, where do, where do I want my life to go? And what road am I going to take to get there? And it's going to, the psalm in three different ways are going to help us look at how we make that decision. It's going to help us look at the decision we have to make in the short term. That is today and tomorrow. And then it's going to help us look at how that decision works itself out in the long term, meaning for the balance of our lives. And then in the end, it says it's going to show us where the final destination of that road we choose ends up. So it looks at what do I need to do today and where is that going to lead in the balance of my life? And then finally, where is that choice going to take me when all things come to their their end? So two roads, two destinations, the first two verses... Give us these two options, sinful pleasure or righteous delight. Two roads, two destinations, sinful pleasure or righteous delight. Let me read verses one and two again. Howard did a great job, but just to remind you of what they said. I know you memorized it when he read it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In the Declaration of Independence, maybe you've heard of this document, there's a phrase in it that's somewhat important, I think. It says, we hold these things to be self-evident, 
All men are created equal. They're endowed with certain unalienable rights. How often do you get to use the word unalienable in conversation? So you're welcome. Among these, there are many, but among these are these. Life, liberty, and what? Pursuit of happiness. All right. So we consider these uh, unalienable rights. The life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The one I want you to think about just for a minute is that last one, the pursuit of happiness. Let me put it to you this way. The question is not whether or not you will pursue happiness. You realize that? You will pursue happiness. What's the question? Where? Where are you going to get it? And then once you get it, what you will quickly have answered is this. How long will it last? So everybody's going to pursue happiness. Everybody's going to do it. You're doing it right now. Everybody's going to pursue happiness. The question is, where are you going to chase it down? What road are you going to choose to chase down that happiness? And once you get it, how long does it last? How long does it last? So the psalm starts with having us think about, you're going to have to decide in your life how you are going to get your satisfaction. Look at, look at what he says. You got two people. You got this man who is blessed. He seeks his delight where? Verse 2, the law of the Lord. What is the other option besides seeking delight in the law of the Lord? Wickedness, sinners, scoffers. Both, both individuals are seeking satisfaction and happiness. One is seeking their satisfaction, their delight in the law of the Lord. The other one is seeking their satisfaction in sin. That is, the appetites. Seeking, I need satisfaction in what can be had. So the question uh, the psalmist is giving us this is this. I need you to choose your satisfaction. You think, well, I don't choose it. I just kind of go with it. Well, everybody's choosing this. You're picking a road. So the person who is blessed is the one who says, you know what? Where I, you know where I want to get my delight from is from the Lord. That's where the person is blessed. Whereas the one who was not blessed is one who walks in the counsel of the wicked, sinners, and scoffers. So we need to understand it this way. Um, we sometimes think of sin as evil. That would be correct. <laughs> Just uh, like, wait, where is this going? <laughs> but, it's, but it's more than that. It's more than that. See, I don't find that most people sin because they want to do something evil. Some people do. We call those psychopaths. But most people sin because they want to do something what? They enjoy. So all that is, we call those our appetites. We hunger for things. We hunger for food. Some of you came in and hungered for a glazed old-fashioned donut, and we served up for you what your flesh was craving. We're sorry about that, you know. What are you going to do? So, so we hunger for food. We hunger for close relationship with others. We hunger for significance. We want to matter in the place where we live and exist. We, we hunger for importance. We would like it if certain people looked up to us. We hunger for control, the ability to make sure that things are going the way we think they ought to go. We hunger for safety. We want to know things are going to be the way they ought to be, and I don't have to worry about illness or injury or, or crime. We, we hunger for people to respect us. We, we hunger for success. We hunger for ease and relaxation. We want the ability to have enough so that we can sit down and not worry. These are all things that we 
hunger for. And what's interesting about sin is most often the way in which we engage in sin is taking things that God has given as a blessing and we make them the thing our life is about. And we take it further than it ought to be. And so what we do is, you know, if I could just have this, this, and this, I will be satisfied. I will be happy. I will be okay. If this person would finally get what's coming to them, I'll, be, I'll feel better because, because the wrong has been made right. But how many interviews when somebody suffers a great tragedy and the person who caused it is finally faces justice and they say, you know, it didn't do what I thought it would do. When the person faces, I thought, my, I thought I would be free of it, but I'm not. How often do you eat a big meal and you get hungry later? I get hungry at the buffet. I get... How often do you set that thing that is that goal? You know, when I finally get this promotion or I'm able to purchase this particular car or house or have this amount in my 401k or my savings, I'm, I'm going to finally feel like everything's okay and then you get it. Do you, how long does that last? It just goes away after a little bit. Now, in the moment, it's great. It's fantastic. And all the psalmist is doing, the psalmist is doing the one thing that you don't encounter very often. He's just being honest with us. All the things our appetites hunger for will provide happiness for this long. And he's just calling you to say, just make a decision. Instead of letting your gut decide where your life is going to go, take a moment and sit down and say, okay, where am I going to get my delight? Where am I going to get it? Am I going to get it from here and it's going to be short term and go away quickly? Or am I going to get it here from the Lord? The person who is blessed, that is, experiences the blessing of God, hears from the Lord, and acts according to what the Lord calls him to do. Look at verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, the person writing this psalm knows his Bible. Unfortunately, we don't know our Bible like we ought to, because we read this, and we say his delight is in the law of the Lord. And many of us, especially especially the fellas, I don't want to pick on the fellas, how many people take great delight in rules? Right? Do you take that great delight when you walk into a place and it tells you what you can't do? Because what do you, most of us see a list of rules. What do we call that? We call that a to-do list. You know, we say, oh, I can't do that. Challenge accepted. <laughs> now I know everything I'm, not, I'm going to do because I want to show you, you can't tell me what I can and can't do. We have to remember, where did the law of the Lord come from? Came from? God redeemed his people Israel out of slavery in Egypt through the Passover lamb, takes them out of Egypt in slavery by the blood of the Passover lamb, goes through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. They come to Mount Horeb and then God gives them the law. But what does he call it? His covenant. This is what God says. He says, listen, I want you to be my people. I have redeemed you at no cost to you, but all cost to me. I've redeemed you out of slavery to become my people. So now I'm going to communicate to you what it looks like to live as my people. See, we hear law and we think rules. But what the psalmist is saying, he hears law and he says, this is the way in which I find my delight in relationship with God that he gave to me freely of his own accord. That's what he's calling us to do. Have delight in the fact that God pursued us and redeemed us and has been kind enough to communicate to us, this is what it looks like to live in right relationship with God. So what the psalmist is saying, take it by faith. It is better to find your delight 
in pursuing right relationship with God than in all the appetites that you might try to satisfy in this world. Jesus picked up on this over in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 2, I'm going to read them. We call this the Beatitudes. And it's this, this backwards way of thinking that Jesus and also Psalm 1 is trying to communicate to us. Is He's trying to show us what blessing is, and it's in places we wouldn't have expected. So let me read them. You're very familiar with them. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, that doesn't make any sense. Who are the poor in spirit? These are people who are, who are low. They're humble. And maybe have experienced things that have taken them down. The greatest example of someone poor in the spirit is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, asking the Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus is saying, those people who are in that position, downtrodden, they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, what do those people get in this world? Well, you might get corrected. If you walk into some place and you're kind of poor in the spirit, you might have somebody tell you, you know, turn that frown upside down. <laughs> and if you're like me, you say, oh, okay, it's on now, right? <laughs> oh, come on, just chip, you know, be a little more chipper. You're always so somber. Well, my life is somber. Shouldn't I be somber? I mean, that's what you might want to say. You know, it's just all about your attitude. You need to just not let the circumstances of your life bring you down. I am so grateful that Jesus doesn't tell us these kinds of things. What does Jesus say? Poor in spirit, don't worry about it. You got a kingdom coming. You're good. Isn't that great? Let's keep going. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are they, those who are meek. They shall inherit the earth. What do the meek people get here and now? They get run over. You get run over. You want to get something, you go get it. And if somebody's holding on to you, you take it from them. That's the way our world is designed. And what the Bible says, don't worry. If you are meek and you get run over, don't worry about it. What are you going to inherit? You're going to inherit the earth, Jesus says. So this is all backwards. This is backwards from the way the world works. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they will be satisfied. Jesus picks up on this theme from Psalm 1. He's saying you have two ways to seek your satisfaction. You can seek it through your appetites, or you can seek it through pursuing righteousness in the kingdom. One of them is going to provide lasting satisfaction. And Jesus said it's not your appetites. It's pursuing righteousness in the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. We are no longer live in a place of peacemakers. Nowadays, we establish ourselves by gathering people around ourselves, and what we have in common is what we are against. That's the, that's the common denominator in our culture right now, is you establish where your sense of belonging is by hanging out with people who share in common with you all the things and people you are against. That is the opposite of peacemaker. A peacemaker is someone who comes in and says, I don't need to figure this stuff out because I got Jesus. And I have opinions and I have thoughts, but I'm not going to make my point of commonality with my people what I'm against. 
A peacemaker says, I make my commonality with the people I spend time with what I am for. That is the kingdom of God and his righteousness through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Nowadays, if somebody is persecuted or things are going wrong, we're going to wonder what terrible decisions they made. Somebody is persecuted, we might say, well, why, what, what were they doing in that country? Maybe they were being too forward with their religious views. Or we might say, if they're persecuted, maybe they should get a good attorney and sue somebody. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are persecuted, full stop. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other, utter all kinds of evil falsely uh, uh, about you and, and hunger and thirst for righteousness. And my scripture just jumped around. <laughs> Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil falsely on my account. This is what just Jesus says is a blessing. Two roads, two destinations. One is sinful uh, pleasure, which will bring immediate, will bring short-term yet immediate satisfaction. We're not trying to sell something. We're not saying sin doesn't satisfy. It does, doesn't it? If sin didn't satisfy, you wouldn't do it. The problem is it's short-term, and that satisfaction goes away quickly. The psalmist says this. No, no, I want you to have blessing. I want you to experience closeness with God, having hearts shaped by God that will lead you to enjoy God, and that will be where your satisfaction will come is in right relationship with God because he has pursued relationship with you through his covenant. Let's look at the second uh, verses three and four. Two roads, two destinations. The first one is sinful pleasure or righteous delight. Secondly, rootless or rooted. Two roads, two destinations. You can be rootless or rooted. Let me read verses three and four again. He, that is the blessed one, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. All that he does prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. I don't know if you've ever gone sport fishing or seen someone else go sports fishing or just watch sport fishing videos on YouTube. If you're fishing for very large fish, you might have a boat that's specially equipped with something, I think they call it the fighting chair. Does that sound right? So you sit in this chair with this big giant pole and you fish for big giant fish. The idea is the pole is strapped to you because that gets really hard and then you are strapped to fighting chair. Now what would happen, say for example, you weren't strapped to the fighting chair. You would no longer be the one fishing, you would be the one being fished for. And this has happened, actually it's happened tragically. Got strapped to a pole that's over in Hawaii, catches a big old fish, probably a giant tuna, and he wasn't strapped to the fighting chair, and he went overboard, and the fish was not coming up. It was going down. And that, so tragedy can strike, because he's not rooted. He's not connected. Why wouldn't somebody want to strap into the fighting chair? Well, first of all, you got, it's inconvenient. You got to sit down. You got strapped in. Secondly, real men don't have strap in the fighting chairs. <laughs> I mean, come on. Who has to strap in? I'll just hold it with my bare hands. Can you hold the pole? Yeah, but can you hold the pole with a huge fish? No, at, at that point, you need strength. So here's what's interesting about his argument here in verses three and four. When he's talking about not being wicked, but instead pursuing delight in the Lord, he doesn't make a moral argument for this here. He makes a practical argument. 
See, a moral argument would, would be something like this. You know, you shouldn't uh, speed because it's against the law and, and good people don't speed. And you shouldn't steal because stealing will harm somebody. And, and when you're harming somebody, that's doing something wrong to them. See, that's a moral argument. Or you might make a, an argument based on morals of a community. You'd say, well, you stole something from your neighbor? Well, we are not the kind of people that steal. You might say that to your child. Or you might say that to somebody in uh, your family. Wait, this isn't a family who steals. If you need something, you ask us. So that's, a, that's an argument that says, we are not people who steal. It's a moral argument based on shame, saying you aren't the kind of person who steals. You shouldn't steal. That's a moral argument. But the argument here for being righteous from the psalmist is a practical argument. Do you want your life to have strength and resiliency or not? That's the question he's asking us. You should think about, it. do you want your life to have strength and resiliency, or do you not want strength and resiliency? And if you say, well, I want a life that has strength and resiliency, then he's going to say, then you're going to want to delight in the Lord. So the first two verses, he had a short-term question. We should delight in the Lord instead of the short-term satisfaction the sin has to offer. Now he wants to cast our gaze down the, the course of our life. Now, some of you are closer to the end, so it's not that far to look, right? <laughs> but it, this takes some maturity, no matter what age you are. This takes some maturity to stop and pause, look at your life, where it's been, and look at your life and imagine where you would like it to go. And say to yourself, like the psalmist, do I want a life that's rooted with strength and resiliency, or do I want a life that's easily devastated? Now, the answer is simple, is it? All of us want a life with strength and resiliency. The problem is that requires us to begin seeking the Lord today, to pursue that life, and it's going to take some time for that life to occur. When you plant a plant, the roots have to develop. I bought a cherry tomato plant at the Grange, and I took it out back and I planted it. What was the problem? The dog saw me plant it. <laughs> and she said, oh, we're digging here. This is where we dig. Oh, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> so then she dug it up, and I go out, and there's my tomato plant. Fortunately, it just happened. So she went in, after she went to bed, I went out and replanted it. She hasn't touched it since. <laughs> because now it has what? Now it's been a, a month or so, it's got roots. But it didn't have roots at the beginning. Now it's got roots. So this is the thing. Sin provides a satisfaction right now. Roots are not going to develop right now, are they? If you want a life of strength and resiliency, the psalmist says, you need to think long-term and make, start making decisions. Am I going to pursue my delight in the Lord, even though that's going to take longer and not be so immediate? Or am I going to pursue short-term satisfaction? What do you want your life to produce? Fruit and roots? Or do you want to be like the wicked, the psalmist says, and be rootless weightless, useless. I don't mean to be rude, but that's what chaff is. When you're threshing grain, you beat out the chaff and, and you crush it and then you flip it up into the air and all the weightless and useless stuff that, will, that does nothing for your bread is blown away. That's the wicked. 
Or do you want to have deep roots like a tree planted by a stream that regardless of the strength of the wind or, the, or whatever comes has roots deep into the nourishment that took years and years and years for them to grow? The righteous over the course of time of seeking their delight in the Lord, even though sin would seem more delightful in the short term, the righteous say, no, 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 no. I'm going to pursue my delight in the Lord. Their roots go deeper and deeper and deeper, and they have strength and resiliency regardless of what comes, even in this life. But Jesus talked about this over in Matthew chapter 7. I think Jesus might have read Psalm 1 before. Jesus tells this story about two guys, two houses. You're familiar with the house. Maybe you even know a song about it. Two houses, they look, they're identical. They're the same house. They're the same house. One guy, though, there's some really fantastic features about his house. Number one, it was built in half the time. Second fantastic feature about this guy's house, it cost half as much. Third fantastic feature about this guy's house, he got to put it wherever he wanted. And he put it in the best spot in town. Fantastic house. Then he got this other house. Took twice as long to build. Cost twice as much to build. And he had to build it way over there. Nobody goes over there. The only thing that's over there is what? That big stupid rock. So whose house is better? Well, right now, today, that cheap house in the, in the great spot is the great house. But Jesus wants to evaluate the strength of the house, not on today. What does he want us to evaluate the house on? When the rain comes, starting the little rain starts pattering down. And the guy goes, oh, I could use a little afternoon rain. Sits out, pours himself a cold beverage. All of a sudden, the rain is starting a little standing water. He goes, okay. It's not draining like I thought it would. And now all of a sudden, that standing water has a little velocity to it. And what does sand do when water is running over it? It says, can I hitch a ride? <laughs> And all of a sudden, what his house was built on is flowing down the river. And then pretty soon, his house is flowing down the river. And that guy with the house on the rock is still enjoying his cold beverage. The important thing is they both had a cold beverage. <laughs> One of them got to finish the beverage, right? And so Jesus just simply says, verse 26, what is the difference? How does he compare these two houses to people, verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine, what did the psalmist call that? Psalm 1, law of the Lord, who hears the word of the Lord, how to have a relationship with God. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on sand. He wasn't foolish till the rain came. Until the rain came, he was brilliant. His foolishness was discovered when resiliency was needed and there wasn't any. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat the house down and it fell. And the great and great was the fall of it. So let me be Captain Obvious here for a minute. Ready? Strength matters when it is needed. Strength is gained when it is not. You need strength and resiliency in those moments when strength and resiliency is needed. When will you gain your strength and resiliency? When it's not needed. Where you're making the decision. 
where will my delight be today when I don't need any strength? I'm good. I'm having a fantastic day. So on my fantastic day, am I still going to pursue my delight in the Lord or am I going to get a little loosey-goosey and say, it's no big deal. I'll just build a little house on the sand over here. See, strength matters when it is needed and it is gained when it is not needed. We can say it this way maybe, to wait to follow the Lord until it is needed invites disaster. If you're going to wait to follow Jesus till you need Jesus, you are inviting into your life disaster. Now, by God's his grace, he is sufficient for us even in those kinds of moments. But having the wisdom of God through, both through Psalm 1 and also through Jesus in Matthew 7, doesn't it make sense if God has given you in these moments of your life a sense of peace, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? Are you going to say, no, okay, God has given me a moment to build some strength and resiliency into my life by faithfulness to his covenant promises and not to spend my time over here in sin's domain. Two roads, two destinations. One is going to give you strength and resiliency, give you rootedness in the faithfulness of God and his covenant. The other one, which is pursuing appetites in the flesh, will make us rootless weightless, and in the end, useless. John chapter 15, we're not going to turn there, but I'm expecting you, and I don't want to be legalistic, but I expect you, so a little legalistic. John 15, anybody read this chapter? That's a, it's a pretty good one. Uh, so you're going to go home and read John 15. John 15 is Jesus talking about fruitfulness. We just don't have time to do it today. John 15, to have fruitfulness in Christ is to abide remain, abide in Christ, to be connected to the vine of Christ. We always pursue connectedness with Christ when our life falls apart. That's what people do. We become prayers like you would not believe when bad things happen. But what the Psalm 1 is calling us to do in the moments when everything's pretty good, abide anyway. That's where we build that connection with the vine and we bear fruit through and in Christ and we have a life of resiliency and strength. Two roads, two destinations. Uh, what was the first one? Sinful pleasure or righteous delight. Second one, verses three and four, rootless or rooted. And finally, in verses five and six, condemned or known. Like we said, the psalm kind of slowly casts its vision out further and further. In the first two verses, he's looking in the short term, this moment, are we going to choose sin or delight in Christ? Second two verses, we're thinking about our life. How do we have a life that's rooted in Christ? And finally, the last two verses say, how will you spend forever? How will you spend your life once it ends? Verse 5 and 6, let me read them again. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I don't know if you've ever taken a vacation. Maybe you looked up your destination online, and so you looked up a new resort. Maybe you're going over to the coast. Maybe you're going somewhere, somewhere kind of exotic, going down to the Caribbean, or maybe over to Hawaii, and you look, hey, found this great resort. It's got a good price. You get the family on the plane, get all booked, and the you roll up, and have you ever had this happen where you're around the bend and you see the name of the resort, and immediately you kind of go, uh, okay, it looked a little different. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, so maybe, they, maybe 
maybe it's just the outside. I'm sure we're going to walk into the lobby and just be like, oh, this is it. This is amazing. You walk into the lobby and go, okay, we got a problem here. Have you ever had this happen? Yeah, me either. I never have that happen. <laughs> so you say, this isn't, you know, when you say this isn't like the brochure, this isn't like their website. You know, I thought I was getting a really good deal, but actually I overpaid. <laughs> this is what sin does. Sin overpromises and underdelivers. Secondly, sin lies about where it's taking you. Sin overpromises and underdelivers. I will make you happy, and then it doesn't make you happy. And then it tells you, I will take you someplace. And then when you get there, what do you say? This doesn't look like what I thought it was going to be. The desti- it lies to you about where it is taking you. Life as a pursuit, we choose the road, and the destination is not immaterial. The destination of that road matters. We need to factor this into our decision-making. Do you want to be happy today, or do you want to be happy forever? That's a, how, wh- where do you want most of your happiness? Now, I don't want anybody to be miserable. Don't get me wrong. We're not picking misery over happiness, but we're saying I might have to forego short-term delight in sin's pleasures because what I would rather have is long-term delight in the presence of God for all of eternity. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. Quick question on that. Now, you realize you said that, right? That was Jesus who said that from his Bible. Quick question, just want you to think about it. Do you believe your Bible? Do you believe your Savior? He's just helping us here. He said, look, at choosing these roads is, is difficult. We say, oh, I can't wait till heaven. I can't wait till glory. I can't wait till I got my, my big mansion. But then we stand at the door and we go, wait a minute. One of these roads is terrible. This other road seems really nice. And, th- and that's what Jesus says. So we have to make a decision. Where do we want our delight? That's what the psalmist is doing. And the destination of it matters. All roads do end up before the Lord, but the question is, what's the Lord's disposition when we get there? They they arrive before the Lord, but at different places. One road leads to judgment before the Lord, and the other road leads to life in the Lord full of joy and happiness. The end is what matters most, not just today. Matthew chapter 7, again, just to pick up on Jesus thoughts on this matter. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Let me read it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So what he's saying, look, these picked short-term delights, lawlessness. Now they had some sense of religiosity to them. They seemed to be Christian. They were able to put on a bit of an act. I mean, that's not that complicated to do. 
But in the end, their delight was not in the Lord or his righteousness or his kingdom. Their delight was in the works of their flesh and their appetite. And Jesus is telling us this, you can fool others, you can even fool yourselves, but God knows our hearts. To be known by God on that day, for God to say, not you are condemned, but, but for God to say, I know you, get in my house. I know, to be known by God requires a new heart, and the only way to have a new heart is through faith in Jesus Christ to give you one. That's the covenant we have with God, that he will redeem us out of slavery to ourselves by the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus, and he calls us into right relationship with God by receiving a new heart, by trusting that what Jesus did on the cross covers over all of our sin, all those pursuits that we have and continue to struggle with. And then God calls us in relationship with Christ by faith now to live in a manner as one who is his son or his daughter. What does it look like to worship God today, having been saved out of slavery? And that is someone who says, I will delight myself in the law of the Lord. I will delight myself in God's things, not the things of my flesh or the things of my appetites. Two roads, two destruction, two destinations. Boy, that was terrible. Let me remind you of them, and then I've got three thoughts, and we'll close. Sinful pleasure or righteous delight, being rootless or being rooted, being condemned or being known. Choose your road. Okay, three quick ideas. Tastes change over time, don't they? You know, so when I was a kid, I could not eat asparagus. It was nasty. Then I found out that basically grows along irrigation ditches in southern Oregon. So you're telling me it's a weed. Is that what we're getting at? All right. No wonder it's nasty. Now, do you know what? You cook a steak on the grill and you throw some grilled asparagus on that thing, we have arrived. I'm not saying I'm pursuing my flesh in that moment, but just a little bit. <laughs> so taste change. You notice taste change through your life. In fact, you would hope that as you get older, maybe your tastes become a little more sophisticated. You know, maybe when you're younger, you want a burger, so you'll, yeah, let's just go to McDonald's. And nowadays, after you've had a couple of kids, you want to go to McDonald's? I'd rather be run over by a car. <laughs> so our tastes change. So here's what I want you to think about in terms of these two roads. You need to develop a better palate. Our palates are too low unsophisticated. The unsophisticated palate merely pursues the appetites of the flesh. I can walk into the forest and find any animal and it will be pursuing the appetites of the flesh. You have not accomplished anything significant by seeking food and sex. Congratulations, you're a mammal. God is saying, you know what, what if we had more sophisticated tastes? where we said, you know what, I'm not so easily satisfied. I am only going to be satisfied by more complicated matters, things that require some refinement, which requires the refinement of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that I might say, you know what, I don't want these lower things. Sure, they look good, but I would, I would prefer these, these finer delicacies of the truth of God's Word and plumbing the depths of the gospel in real life. What does it mean to live a life of redemption as one who still struggles with sin. And what does it mean to live a life of gospel life in a community with other sinners? And, and what does it mean today to think, what does rootedness and 
and living a life of holiness look like in my life? That's a, a, a refined and sophisticated person. I wanted a higher palate. Desire the better things of God. They will leave you satisfied. They won't satisfy you as quickly as the lower things of the flesh, but they will leave you satisfied. And in the moment of temptation, one of the things we can say is it's not that this isn't satisfying. I just want something more so. And that's going to be found in the truth of God's word and seeking him in righteousness. Second idea. And you thought that was all three. No, that was just one. I want you to answer this or at least be willing to think about it. When you think about wanting to have a life of strength and resiliency in the Lord, what are you going to do today as an act of worship that God can use to develop those strong roots? What are you going to do? Or maybe it's what are you going to not do? Maybe you have some habits in your life that you know are appetites of the flesh, and it's time to say, you know what? We're going to, we're going to need to shut those down and give those to the Lord. What are you going to do? Are you going to start pursuing the Lord in his word? You're going to set some goals in your life about what it means to engage with his word in prayer. You're going to think about what does it look like to encourage the, the life of righteousness in the people around me? Maybe I need to set aside some attitudes. Maybe I need to set aside some habits. What, it's different for all of us, so I'm going to be vague here, but I want you to think about it. If you want a life of resiliency and strength, and I, hope, and I pray you do, what are you going to do today that is going to start reaching those roots out? And how long does it take for those roots to grow? A long time, doesn't it? Long time. But, it, but they will never start growing unless you say, you know what? I know what I need to do to, to worship God in my life through prayer and his word and encouraging others. I know what I need to do. I need, I need to set aside these habits. They aren't developing roots. They're making me rootless. What are you going to do? What are you going to start doing today as an act of worship so that when you need strength... It's ready to go. Think about that today. Finally, this. This is for those of us who don't have a relationship with God yet. The only way for you to be on the road leading to God is to trust Jesus to forgive you. That's the only way. There's no other way. No other name under heaven given among men whereby you can be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. By no other name can you be saved. If you want relationship with God, in order to have righteousness, Jesus must give it to you because you're not good enough. And if you think you can be good enough, you should meet some of the people of this church. <laughs> Prove to you, you have to be given your righteousness. Trusting Jesus gives you your righteousness where you say, I need forgiveness for my sin. And he gives you a new heart, gives you his spirit, gives you relationship with God, and then you have the privilege of spending your life developing those roots into that Savior. My prayer is in this moment, you would step off the road that leads to destruction and pursue Jesus by faith. God, we thank you for your grace that you have shown us, your grace to be straight up honest with us. You know that we struggle with what road to choose. And God, we would pray your Holy Spirit in this moment would prompt our hearts to choose life in Christ. Now, there are many of us here as believers, we've been pursuing and dabbling in all kinds of things that are just for our flesh. God, would you give us wisdom to know what things we need to set aside? God, there are many of us that have been neglecting those important things that build strength, knowing you through your word and prayer. 
being willing to engage in others in conversation and relationships where we can build one another up. Lord, would you give us hearts that yearn for a life that is rooted in you? And God, in these moments, I pray for those who don't know you right now that they would be willing to reach out to you in faith and trust Jesus for forgiveness. We thank you, God, for your love and your grace shown to us in Christ. We gave you, pray that you would give us deep roots in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand up with us as we close in a song.